Good morning, family. It's so good to see you this morning. Wonderful to be together in such a wonderful time in the life of our church. Just an announcement from me, uh, just one or two announcements, things that I want to make you aware of, is first of all that we've got a modular worship academy that'll be presented here at Hatfield uh, for the, uh, in September uh, for the next couple of weeks. And um, it's a part-time discipleship course that focuses on a worship lifestyle suitable for young and old and all congregational members with a heart of worship are welcome. And this is worship as a lifestyle, not musical worship merely, but worship as a lifestyle. It'll be spread over three weekends, starting in mid-September. And if you think you would like to do this, and it would be something that'll add value to you, which I think it definitely will, then please meet Chris uh, after the service at, on this, next to the stage. Uh, to my left, you're to your right, Chris will be here, um, and uh, please come and just chat with him about that Modular Worship Academy. It'll be a fantastic time for you. Then I also just want to make you aware of, our, uh, we're starting this season now with our God Speaks theme, and one of the ways that we want to do that is to invite you to join us on a contemplative journey over this coming week. So you'll find on the chairs uh, close to you, if, if you'll just have one of these little booklets, and uh, Pastor Jack, our very own Pastor Jack, please developed for us a journey for this coming week where we would like you to join us. And if you look in the booklet for every day, there's a contemplative journey that we would like you to take with us. And we're all going to do it together as a congregation. And the heart of it is to make space for the Lord to continue to speak to us. We begin every year with a week of prayer and fasting. And we also felt it would be good here in the sort of the midpoint of the year to again just come to the Lord and to make space for Him to speak to us. And we want to do that through this contemplative journey. For those of you that have children at C4G, they'll receive a little... Uh, chart like this, which they would be able to use at the same time. So in your family, you may consider that you make some time. It just takes a couple of minutes, won't be more than 10 minutes to do this contemplative journey every day. And uh, please do that and join with each other. On Wednesday evening, we'll be also taking some time in our social uh, self-seeking meeting to together use that as an opportunity to do this contemplative journey. So if you want to, please join us on Wednesday evenings, as in the normal seeking time, and come and be with us as we seek the Lord together uh, in this time. So you can do this on your own at home or wherever you are. If you're not in the service, you, these are all available. These booklets can also be downloaded on all our social media platforms, our website, and on the Hatfield app. You can get all of this uh, also there. So please join us for this at this time. Today I want to talk with you a little bit about one of those great questions that we keep on asking ourselves in life. And I wonder if you could think for yourself, just if you've recently asked yourself this question, and it's a one-word question, why? Why? Perhaps there's something that's happened in your life recently, an event, or something that you're going through, or if you're looking at stuff happening in the nation, or across the world, or something, and you've asked yourself, why? How many of you can think of a moment recently when you asked the question, why? I, I'm, I'm sure if we give you a little bit more time and more, um, then you could think about it a little bit deeper, you'll remember a time when you asked that big question, why? It is one of the fundamental questions of the human existence. It's probably one of the things that makes us human is the fact that we ask the question, why, consistently and so often. I was trying to think of a time when I recently asked the question, why? And uh, I remembered uh, in the end of June, we were preparing to go on holiday to go camping. 
<coughs> and uh, we were leaving the Friday morning early, and uh, sort of late on Thursday afternoon, around about six o'clock, it was just getting dark, I was busy packing our trailer, and um, as I was throwing a bag into the trailer, some of the boys were helping me, and we were packing our stuff, and as I threw a bag into the trailer, and sort of stuck my head into the trailer and dropped this bag, the lid of the trailer closed and hit me on the back of the head, and uh, my head hit the, the side of the trailer and split my eye open here, just above my eye, and blood gushing, and uh, I had to, you know, go for stitches eventually. But uh, as I was going into the house and, you know, blood and trying to sort this out, the why question came into my mind. Why did this now happen? It's Thursday night. We're supposed to leave tomorrow morning. I don't have time now to go to the doctor. Why did this happen? And on one level, it's very easy to answer the question why. It happened because I forgot to put the pole up that holds the trailer's lid up. That's why this happened. Now, why I needed a pole is because last year my sons took garbage and went and threw it in the rubbish dump and they decided to throw the strut that keeps the lid up away with it. So it's their fault, actually. So that's why it happened. <laughs> but <laughs> our trailer has gas lifts the lid so it can stay up on its own. But when I threw the heavy bag in, it you know, caused momentum and the lid fell. And that's on one reason the answer for the why question. But on another reason, I always continue to have the why question, because up until that time, as a family, we were experiencing one of those times, and I think you've often experienced in your life also, or even as in your household, where things just start going difficult. You know, those times when little things start frustrating everybody, and little things break, and, and, and you just start developing problems, and we were going through a time like that as a family, where we were just feeling like... Mm, things are scratchy and things are not good. And, and, and over our years of journey, we've often felt that times like that happen when in the church, um, in our role in leadership in the church, when we are transitioning and when God is trying to break us through into something new, then we often feel resistance. Have you ever felt that even in your own life? As a, that when God is saying something new is happening and, and you've got to get ready and, and you're pushing through for something, it's like this resistance that builds up and it's almost like, some force is trying to keep you from moving forward and just making it difficult. And it's like, and, and we were going through a time like that. And, and so when that happened and I was standing in the kitchen, you know, trying to hold this blood from spurting out of my eye, Natasha came downstairs, one of the boys called her and she came and, and she just said, in the name of Jesus, we take authority now over everything that, and it just became that moment where for us, the why wasn't just because I forgot to put the pole up. There was also a why in a spiritual sense of, but perhaps this is just another one of those things where the enemy's trying to frustrate us. So we had a why on a spiritual level also. Now, I don't know if that was the truth. That's just what we experienced. But so often when we ask the why question, it needs to find an answer on different levels. And as Christians, we live in a worldview that tells us that there are why scientific reasons, why practical reasons, but there's also why metaphysical reasons or sometimes spiritual reasons. And how do we deal with the world where we do both of those? And that's a very important thing, that we understand and discern the why. Now, we're very privileged because we have some answers for why. Why is a great question. It's a question that people wrestle with all the time. I think of Viktor Frankl, the well-known Austrian psychiatrist. 
that ended up in Auschwitz, in the prison camps, in the, in the death camp, where thousands and thousands and thousands of his people, Jewish people and others, were being killed, and uh, in the gas chambers. And eventually he was separated from his family, and he was in the midst of this terrible situation with these inexplicable things that were happening, that people were doing to one another, things that were outside of the norm, things that really caused him to start thinking, why? It's like outside of the normal parameters, and he, and he realized he doesn't have a framework for this. He doesn't know how to negotiate this place and this difficulty and, and how to deal with this harshness, this violence, this murder that is happening on such a large scale. He, he didn't know, how am I going to survive this? And he started thinking as a psychiatrist about how, does, how will he do this? And, and he remembered a quote by Nietzsche that said the following, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. So he started thinking, is there a why in this situation? Is there a why that I can hold on to, that I can grab onto in the midst of this terrible extreme suffering that may help me and enable me to survive this and go through this and endure this, not just physically, but psychologically, emotionally, and even spiritually? How can I do this? How can I go through this how? Is there any form of why? And he started thinking about this. How, does he, how can I find a why? And the first thing he recognized as he was trying to come to a why was that he wouldn't find the why within himself. That there was no why that he could look to inside of himself to say, this why gives me the strength to endure this how. Because he found himself too limited. He found himself with not enough perspective, not enough understanding, not enough view of everything, not enough knowledge and wisdom. He realized that he couldn't find a why within himself. So he started thinking, now how do I then find a why? And it's at this point that he started realizing that to find the why for yourself in the situation like this, it's something that you can't find if you look for it. You've actually got to be about something else, and then the why will present itself. So he said the following. He said, meaning cannot be pursued as a goal in itself. Why? As meaning, as trying to figure out what is the meaning of all of this. Meaning cannot be pursued as a goal in itself. It must ensue as a side effect of pursuing other goals. He said, let it happen by not caring about it. What he was saying is that if I'm going to find a why that gives me strength to endure this concentration camp and the loss of my family and the death of all of these people, I will not find it by looking for it. I've got to be looking for something else. And if I look for something else, then that something will, will end up giving me the why. And that something has to be outside of me. It has to be bigger than me. It has to be beyond me. Now, what he was actually saying was what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. He was saying, my reason for meaning, the answer to the why question cannot be found outside of understanding what God's bigger story is. There's something bigger going on. 
there's a bigger story unfolding here. And if I want to find my why, I have to start understanding what is the bigger story. But I have to start looking at things about outside of myself. And I want to pose to you today that that's the fantastic thing that God has done right throughout human history as the Bible describes it and even in our lives today is He keeps on giving us the reasons for the why. He keeps on presenting to us that big story that we can find our little stories in and can find purpose and meaning for our little stories. There's something bigger going on. I want to remind you of Abraham and how this man's life was just a life, but at some point his life intersected with God's bigger story and suddenly his life started taking on different meaning. Now I want you to imagine with me a map, a map of the Middle Eastern part of the world. If you can think of from the Arabian Sea right through to the Mediterranean Sea, and you have that section from Egypt sort of to where Iraq and Iran is today, Persia, that part of the world. There was a man living in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. It's close to the Arabian Sea, and uh, our story begins with God's making us aware of this man. And then that's in Genesis 11. And then as Abraham's story unfolds, one of the views you can do of it is, and I did this recently, is you can go Google the map of, of the journey of Abraham's life, all the places he went to. And it's like a GPS that pinpoints all the points where Abraham moved to. And if you look at Abraham's life, you'll see his footsteps, you'll see his movements. He, his movements started here in this place called Ur, which is sort of on the edge of the Middle Eastern world. And at some point in his life, he moved 600 miles to a place called Haram. With his father and his family, they moved 600 miles. From here, they moved almost close to the Mediterranean Sea up here. And then a little while later, we see him move another 400 miles down south to the to the bottom of what is modern Palestine, what used to be called Canaan in those days. So here's this huge movement this, this man makes. And you can look at his life and you can plot all these movements. And then within that, there's smaller spaces. And then eventually you see him move to a place called Egypt. And he moves even further. Then he comes back and, and you can plot his movements. And that sort of becomes the how of his life, how he lived his life. Is he lived his life in all of these spaces. But what the Bible then beautifully does is it doesn't tell us just the how, and the Bible does great care to tell us the details of all the places he moved to. But the Bible doesn't just tell us how his life unfolded. It also gives us a reason why. Why did this man move 600 miles? Why? And when the Bible starts describing to us the why, it also does it on different levels. It gives us the physical reasons, and it gives us the metaphysical reasons. It gives us physical reasons, natural, practical reasons why he had to move, but it also says then to us, but more than just the practical reasons, there were spiritual reasons why he had to move. We know from Genesis 
11, that he lived in Ur with his father and uh, his family because of what happened in, at, the, at the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, people built this tower, and they wanted to reach heaven. And the, an actual sense, if you understand what they were doing, is they were trying to find an answer for the why question. They were trying to enter into the heavenly spaces to say, there's things going on in our world we don't understand, and if we unite together as a people, we can reach God, and then we can understand why everything is going on. But God introduced different languages, and the whole thing fell apart, and the people scattered. And his family didn't move too far away from the Tower of Babel. They just moved to the right a little bit on the map, and just a little bit right down, and they went and found themselves in this place called Ur. But then Genesis 12, and in Genesis 12, God speaks to Abraham, and God says to him, I am wanting to make a great nation out of you. I want to, out of you, I want to bless the, all the people of the earth. Out of you, I'm going to build an, a, a descendants that are more than the stars in the sky and the sun, oh, the, the sand on the beaches. And the Bible says Abraham believed him. And that became the reason, the why, for this movement that you see in Abraham's life. And he moved from where he was. And then he went with his father and they stayed in Aaron and they lived in that place for a number of years. And then the Bible says, and a famine came. And then they, said, they moved and then he moved further. And his dad died and the famine came and then he moved south to the southern part of what is, we, we know as Canaan. So it tells us then the, the how of his life, but then it gives us a why. I wonder if you had to take a map of your life. Have you ever done this? Took, taken a map and plot your journey on a map. Where were you born? Perhaps you can go further back than that and say, where were your parents born? Perhaps you can go further back than that. And where did your ancestors come from? I discovered through some fluke that my ancestors landed in the Cape in 1696 for the first time. This is where my family heritage, 1696, they landed in the Cape. Very interesting. My family was known as through their developments up until the 1800s, I was able to trace this. They were known to be ministers, pastors, and lawyers. My dad was a lawyer, and we... My brother and I are pastors, so I don't know what to do with that, but that's how it unfolded. So, I don't know if you've done that, if you've taken some of your heritage and map your life on a map, literally put the waypoints of your life. How did you end up to be born where you were born? I was born here in Pretoria, in the, in the Marifont, as it was called those days. I don't know if it's the Femino or whatever it's called now. But how did I end up being born here? My father lived in the Cape. How did he end up here? How, and, then I, and then you can plot my journey. We moved at some point to Valhalla, and then from Valhalla we moved to Vera Park, and I grew up in what is known for Wurtberg. Praise God, we changed that name to Centurion. <laughs> and then I came and did military, and if you moved my life, you can, you can build a GPS of my story, and it'll tell you the how of my life. And, it, and you can do the same. You can talk about the how of your life. There's some of you that 
that moved from nations and different places, and, and, and how did that happen, and what led to that going on, and, and if you plot the journey of your life, it'll be fantastic to see this is, the, this is the how of my life, but I want to ask you the question, why? Why? And I guarantee you that if you answer, give me an answer for that question, you'll tell me some natural reasons, and you may even tell me some supernatural reasons as to the, the why. Some of the natural reasons may be that there was trouble in my homeland, or, or I, wanted, I went to go study in a different place, or I met a girl and, and she lived in a different town, or whatever it may be, there may be all these natural reasons that you could overlay over your map and say, for this reason, and this is the why of my how. But I wonder if I can put another level over it and say, what was God busy doing? You may think that it was for a very natural reason, like studying in a different place, that you moved and relocated, and that we can plot this journey of your life. But is it possible that there was actually a God behind the scenes that was busy moving you towards the place as He wanted you to go? I believe that's what the Scripture tells us. The Scripture says to us, and our worldview as, Christian, as Christians gives us this understanding that says God is involved and that He's busy with a plan. Your life is not just a how story. It's a why story. Like Abraham. Why? Why did this man from Ur of the Chaldeans end up in, Pal uh, in the bottom of Palestine, in the southernmost part of Palestine, in a place called Canaan, why did he end up there? Not just because of famines and family movements, but because God had a plan. Now you and I have the privilege today of we read Genesis and we read the Abraham story and we look back on it and we go, yes, we, we sort of know the why before we look at the how. But imagine if you didn't know the how, ugh, the why. If you were like Abraham, God speaks to him and says, leave your country and go to the place I will show you. He says, why? God says, I want to make a great nation out of you. Okay. Doesn't know quite what that means. He doesn't know how that work's going to work out. He doesn't understand. He took his whole life. He lived till 175 to start getting some perspective of, oh, this is what was going on. This is what really was happening in my journey. Perhaps there was a bigger story. We get to Genesis 26. I preached about it earlier this year, so let me remind you. Part of Abraham's journey was this idea that he would have a son and that out of his son would come this nation, but him and his wife weren't able to have children and, and they had to trust God and at the ripe age of 100 years old, they got a son and his name is Isaac after Ishmael was born and then Isaac came. And Ken, Ken Martin spoke to us a couple of weeks ago about that journey that Abraham of faith had to go through to take his son and present his son to the Lord and, and that whole story. And, and then it continues. And eventually we pick up this family's journey. Now it moves to a different generation. It's no longer just Abraham's journey that we plot on the map. Now we see Isaac come into the story and we can start plotting his journey on this map. Now very interesting, his father moved thousands of miles away from home, but Isaac spent his whole life in the same area. Of the patriarchs, of the three patriarchs, he's the only one that didn't move outside of his area. He stayed in this one small spot where he was born in the southern part of Palestine, Canaan. That's where he spent his whole life, moving around in that area. 
So if you really zoom in and look at the movements of his life. So here he is. We find this man whose father comes from Ur of the Chaldeans, Babylon. Far away. He now lives here in Canaan. And remember this. We, we spoke about this earlier this year. Genesis 26 verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. Last week I said, whenever the Bible mentions famine, it is a clue that God is busy moving something. You see, famines are natural events, but God is really good at using natural events for His higher purposes. And you, a natural event like a famine can happen, and it causes a lot of movement. It causes people to become unsettled. It causes people to dig up their roots and to be motivated to leave. And it's in those moments where God says, I'm going to use this. God may not cause the famine, but God is really good at using the famine. Whenever there's time of lack, you've got to sit up and listen and think, what is God up to? Right now, as a nation, we're going through a time of lack. For various reasons, our economy is struggling. It's not growing at the rate that it should. It's barely growing. Our unemployment rate is rising. We are struggling. It is a time, a modern day sense of famine, perhaps not as, as advanced yet, but if we don't arrest things and change things, we're heading for some tr difficult times. Now, if you and I are merely natural people, that have a naturalistic worldview that just looks at scientific cause and effects and, and things are like economic cause and effects or natural events, then we will say we are in a nation, we are this way because of these and these reasons. And perhaps we'll, you know, through like what we're doing at the moment, through all these commissions, we're trying to find out how corruption affected our nation and who's to blame, where did it happen, how did it happen, because we're trying to answer the why question. But there's an element of the why question that you will not answer through commissions. As good as they are and as necessary they are. Because God is doing something. I don't say He caused this to happen in our nation. But it is times when people are prepared to move. Perhaps you're facing a lack in your life. It may not just be financial, it may be in your health that there's a lack. It may be in your relationships. It may be in whatever area of your life, but there's a lack. We sang about it this morning. It's a time of mystery. Where Debbie spoke about it in, in, in leading up to the communion. It's the time where there's an ashes that needs to be transformed into the resurrected life. And you're in that space at the moment. You are struggling in that space and you're going, why is this going on? Why am I struggling? Now, we can give you some natural answers, and those are worthwhile, and Christianity never ignores the natural reasons. That's why the Christian worldview welcomes science. We're not against science. Science just explains to us how it cannot explain why. We look elsewhere for our why. So you may be going through some difficult times in your health, and you can go to the doctor, and he can tell you how this came about. But then you go home and you say, Lord, what are you doing? What are you busy doing? How can this event in my life be an opportunity for me to step into your purposes? I'm, you've got my ears. I'm listening, Lord. What are you doing? This is what happened in this family's life. Now there was a famine in the land. 
So Isaac experienced what his father experienced, Abraham. And a lot of their movement was caused by these natural phenomenon. But their worldview told them it's not just the natural things. God is at work. God is at work. And now we know the rest of the story, and I, I don't have time to read it all together again. You can read Genesis 26. Where I, where, where if you look at um, Isaac's movement in that part of the world, he jumps around between a couple of places. And the, the how that came about was he was looking for water. He was now living in this part. He ended up in the place where God wanted him to be. When God said to his father, Abraham, leave and go to the land I will show you, that's now where Isaac is in the land that God wanted them to be. He is now there. But now he's struggling for provision. He's saying, there's famine. I'm now where you want me to be, but there's no resources here. There's, there's nothing that can sustain me. It doesn't really look like a place that you want me to be in. So if you had to look at the map of the time and the sort of geopolitical events of the time, and, if you, and you can really find these maps, if you look at it, then you suddenly see, because of that famine in that part of the land, lots of people movement happening. People move. And a lot of the people go to Egypt at that time because Egypt had food. So it was sort of in the newspapers and agencies were opening up and how to move to Egypt and you know, people were selling tickets on the caravans and how to move to Egypt and everybody was like, how do I get to Egypt? Because I need food. And Isaac was thinking, and how do I, okay, we're now here, I need to move, I need to get out of here to go to Egypt and get food. And, and, and they're talking about it as a family and then God speaks. And God says to him, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and I will bless you. So the natural conclusion for everybody is get out of here and go to Egypt. God speaks to Isaac and he stays put. Probably everybody looked at him and said, Are you crazy? What's wrong with you? You're going to die here. And this is the point where things become a little different for him as a believer. Because everybody else only can judge the events, the famine, the events by the physical things they see. And they have to measure their response according to what the events dictate. But Isaac says, I have a why that asks me to react differently to what is expected in this situation. My why says I must stay here. I don't know why exactly. I don't have an answer for what is happening, but God outside of myself is telling me that He is busy doing something, and if I want to stay connected to what He's doing and stay part of what He's doing, I have to stay here. Can you see he's factoring in some different information in his decision making? He's not just living on this level, but he's living on a level where he's saying, okay. And God is saying to him, perhaps he didn't understand it at the time, but God is saying, I'm busy doing something. We now know again, because we look back, what was God doing? God was actually saying to him, Isaac, I've got a plan. You know, I created this earth to have fellowship with you as mankind, to love you. But you turned your back on me in the Garden of Eden. 
And since then, I have been hard at work to, to reestablish my presence among you, to bring you back into my, to be my people so that I can have a relationship with you. And for part of that to happen, I need a place where I can put my people so that I can build relationship with them. And this is the place that I've chosen. If you stay here, then I can do something and build a new people and a new nation in this place. If you leave, we will lose what I'm busy doing. Stay here, please. And you know, if you stay, then I will bring the people here eventually, and they will grow in this land, and from them I will, I will develop my law and a, and a structure of worship, and I will show people how to live with me, and ultimately I will reveal to them that they can't do it from an external law, but they need me to live inside of them. And then in this place, there will come one day a man by the name of Jesus, and he will come, and he will take up residence in this part that my people has possessed, and he will come and be the Savior of the earth, and that promise which I gave you Father, that you will have inhabitants as much as the stars in the sky will come true because of that man. And remember I said to your father, he will, every nation will be blessed in you. It'll be because of that man. But for that to happen, you have to stay here. You have to stay here. I don't think Isaac knew all of that and understood all of that. All he knew was God saying, stay. How often has God said to you things that you go, that makes no sense? How often has God said to you, stay? Right now in our nation, there's many reasons for people to, to find that, that justifies or tells them to leave. And, and if God sends people, that's fantastic. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that God is not saying go to. He's saying stay. He's saying stay. There's even people that He's saying come. Come here. And all the logical reasons and everything may say, no, the, I must make different decisions. But God says, stay in my story. Don't try and find your why in yourself. Stay in my story. And there's two things that gets challenged that become our battle fronts when it comes to stepping into God's story or finding meaning in ourselves. And it's these two things. I'm not saying it's exclusively, but these two are big things. The first one is provision. One of the main reasons that we do not stay in God's story is because we want provision. And this was what Isaac was facing. There was no provision in the land for him. It was drought. It was famine. But God says, stay. What would have caused him to move at that point was to say, I need food. I need provision. I need stuff to live off, Lord. If you're telling me to stay here, it makes no sense. I'm going to die here. I need your provision. How often has God said to you, do something, but the thing that you have to overcome is your fear of not having been provided for or be to be provided for. But this is where God is so fantastic. He's so awesome. He's so cool. He says to Isaac, listen, my boy, you stay in this land. Because, and as the story unfolds, and you'll remember I preached about uncovering the wells. He said, your father was here before you. And actually, before he was here, I was here. You know, when I created the earth, I knew what I was doing. I knew that my people needed to end up here. So in the ground, I already put the provisions that they needed. When, when I formed the earth in Genesis 1, I didn't give you the detail, I didn't tell you, but I made sure that there was enough water under the ground here. Because I knew this is where you're going to come to. 
So I provided long before you were even a thought. I already provided for my plan and my purpose. If you stay in my plan and my purpose, you get the provision with it. But then you have to give up on trying to find your own why and thinking that that will provide for you. And you've got to trust me for my why because my why will provide for you. And so God showed him and he dug the wells. And from then on you see him move. And the movement is because of fighting for these wells. And the Philistines keep on stealing the wells and fighting for him. And he moves. But he stays in that place. And he becomes exceedingly wealthy. He becomes a rich man. He becomes very blessed. Until he goes to a place by the name of Beersheba. And he ends up there and he lives there. And he says, I have found my dwelling place. I have found the place where I live. And that's where he ends up. And he lives there. God has provided for him. And then we fast forward the story a little bit. Because out of him comes Jacob, his, 12, his sons. And out of Jacob comes the 12 tribes. And one of the 12 tribes, Joseph, ends up in Egypt. You know the story. And for 400 years, God uses the time in Egypt, again, due to famine and lack. God uses the time in Egypt to grow his people, to grow a nation to a couple of million strong. And then there comes a day where God says, I have now kept you in Egypt and I've made you grow here, but this is not your home. This is not where you belong. And he reminds them of the promised land. And he says to you, you are going back to what I, where I took Abraham and Isaac. You must go back there. And he says to them, now get up and go. And through Moses, they lead the nation. And Pharaoh lets them go. You know the big story. And they travel for a couple of weeks, perhaps a month or two, just about two months. They travel from Egypt through the Arabian desert, and they end up, guess where they end up? Just outside of Beersheba. They end up in that vicinity, in that area. And they stop there, and they, and they realize this is the place where they have to go. This is their promised land. This is the Canaan. So Moses says, listen, guys, we've got to enter this land, but before we do it, we've just got to make sure we've got our ducks in a row, we've got our plans, how are we going to do this, and we must make sure this is the place. So he gets 12 spies, he sends them into the land. They go and spy the land. They come back and they say, man, this place is unlike any other we have ever seen. Surely this is God's place. He has provided, man, the grapes are taller than men, the the clusters of grapes. There's, it's the land of milk and honey. The provision that God put in place for us, that our father Isaac farmed and, and unearthed, surely is in this place. It's a fantastic, it can sustain our whole nation. This is our place. But unfortunately, not only does it have big grapes, but it also has big men. And they're giants in the land. And they confront the second thing you have to confront when you want to step from meaning in yourself to meaning in God, from being your own why to being into God's why, they confront the second thing, which is protection. Protection. And they say, Phew, God brought us here, but I, we don't think He can protect us against these giants. If we enter into this land, they're going to kill us. They're going to hurt us. It is the place of God's provision, but it's not the place of God's protection. And you know the story, they don't enter in. They step back. And God says, because you, as a generation, weren't able to step into my why, because you feared provision, 
I'm going to have to let you all die, raise up a new generation that can see not only my provision, but also my protection. And so for 40 years, they wander in the desert, and God does miracle upon miracle upon miracle upon miracle of protection and provision for them, so that this new generation starts getting to think, wow, our God can actually do this. And then after a time, after these 40 years, they find themselves now not at the same place again, not here, Beersheba, Kadesh, Barnea, that area here at the bottom of Palestine, where it was actually an easy entrance. They were actually on the other side of the Jordan River already. But now they had to travel around, around the Dead Sea and go up here to the Jordan. And they had to enter in there, and there they faced Jericho. And Jericho became the testing point. Are you trusting me for your protection? Not just to the point where you will be safe, but to the point where you will actually conquer and overcome. And God said to Joshua, Moses is dead, it's now your turn. And he said to them, march around the city six times, once every, every day for six days. And on the seventh day, march seven times and then release the sound. And the priests went ahead and you know the story and I preached about that earlier this year. And when it came to that moment, they, this, they released the sustained sound of a people that surrendered themselves to God's why and not to their own why. And the walls fell. And Jericho was conquered and they were able to move in and possess the promised land. And from Jericho they moved north and south, right down to Beersheba, Kadesh Barnea, that area, the southern part of Canaan, and they possessed that land and it became the land from which God built his relationship with his people. Worship team, you guys can join me, please. They're already up somewhere. Anyway. <laughs> the, the journey that God walked with them. But they had to overcome these two things, these two questions in the why. Is the why big enough that I can trust God for provision and protection? Now again, I don't know what your story is at the moment. I don't know what your life is. I don't know what the journey is that God's walking with you. I don't know exactly your why. But I do know the why of the bigger story. The bigger story is God's kingdom. Jesus prayed, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And can I tell you this, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what you're experiencing in your life this moment, but you are part of the bigger story. Your life is significant within the bigger story because God's kingdom can only come through you and me living our lives for His why. For His why. And that may mean that I go through challenges and times where I get confronted with provision, and the fears in my own life for God's provision, and the fears in my own life for will He protect me. And it's so easy as people to make our decisions based on those two things. We think what is right for us is whatever will provide for us and what will ever protect us. But if we think that way only, then we make our lives about ourselves, and we try and find meaning within ourselves, and we're trying to find our why in here. And you cannot do that, even Viktor Frankl said so, from a German concentration death camp. He said, I will not survive this if I try and survive. 
If I try and find for myself provision and protection in this horrible place, I will not survive. But if I tap into the bigger story, the purposes that are beyond me, and that's what the kingdom offers you. The kingdom is God saying, I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. Do you believe God's got a plan and a purpose? Do you believe that we can live the surrendered lives? And, and we've spoken about it earlier this year. A life of surrender is a life of stewardship where I say God owns. And that's just saying, Lord, you are the owner of the why. Help me do the how. Help me, Lord, so that I can be part of the how. You do the why. But God settled that. And in Jesus, He's come. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, He enables and strengthens us to live in that why. But then we are different people. We are bizarre people. Because we don't just look at the things of this world and we say, okay. We say, Lord, we see this. We see the challenges. We see the struggles. But Lord, we hear your why. We hear your why. And more than anything, we want your why. More than what we think we need and how we think we will be safe. We want your why. And therefore, we will trust you with our protection and with our provision. You, Lord, only you. Are you ready to trust the Lord today with your protection and your provision so that you can step into his why? And you begin with saying, Lord, why? Why my life? What, is, what are you doing with my life? And that's a journey. That's, a, that's so, such a beautiful journey to take. But can I tell you this? If you ask today for God for the first time, why, Lord, what is the purpose of my life? One of the things he'll do is he'll take you and look, cause you to look back and see how he has been working his purpose in your life already. Because he loves you. If you're ready this morning, won't you stand with me? If you're saying, Lord, I, I, I will not find my why within myself. You see, the message of our world at this point in time, the popular culture is telling us the only reason you will find why is if you find it in yourself and by yourself. You must even decide your own gender. Don't let anybody tell you. Don't let science or biology tell you your own gender. You must decide that for yourself because that's the only way you will have meaning and understanding. As Christians, we say, we understand those struggles. But we look up and we say, Lord, why? Why? And I want to commend this community. You are an amazing people. Wrestling every day with this why. Sometimes getting it clear, sometimes struggling. But let's continue to wrestle. I forgot to mention this earlier, so I want to try and do it quickly now. Because I, I need to. But I, it fits in here for me. We want to thank you for our faith promise, which to me is a response to the why. As a community, this community is rising up and the sound, that sound, the surrendered sound is a sound of faith that is coming from this community that's rising up. And this community is starting to say, I'm seeing the why. I'm seeing the bigger picture and I'm prepared to give. And you're even giving your provisions and you're saying, Lord, we believe the why. And that's why this community has to this point placed 5.2 million rand to the faith promise.
And can I tell you that that speaks of a people of faith. So we commend you for that. But let's continue to step forward. If you haven't given to Faith Promise yet, you can do so online or you can get the forms is at the information desk and please do that. But we are stepping in forward. So can I ask as a community that right now we just lift our hands. Lord, we lift our eyes and we see you. We see you, Lord. Above the things of this world and the happenings of our times and the movements of men and natural disasters, we see you, Lord. We see you and we trust you, Lord. We're not blind to all these things going on, Lord, but we see you. We see you in the midst of life, the struggles. We know, Lord, that you have a plan for me and you have a plan for us. There is a bigger story. And thank you, Lord, that we can be part of that bigger story. Thank you, Lord, that I can have a why that helps me to live through the how. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for including us, making a space for us. If you're here this morning and you've not stepped into God's story, if you've not made that decision to stop trying to find your meaning within yourself, but you're saying, I can only, and you recognize you can only find meaning in Him. You can only let Him tell you who you are. You cannot figure it out for yourself. He must tell you. He must show you. Then I want to ask you just to come to the front as I end the service and come and let one of our people just pray with you. Just give you an opportunity to introduce you to Jesus so that you can get lost in Him and be found. Like so many thousands and millions of others have found, you can too be found in Him. If you need prayer for anything else, please come and let us pray with you. May the Lord bless you. May you, as you go out of those doors today, carry with you a hallelujah. Will you raise a hallelujah tomorrow in your home, in your workplace, in your street, in your mall? Will you raise a hallelujah? Will you raise a hallelujah and say, I'm going to say louder and louder that God is alive, that the King is on the throne. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. Have a fantastic week. Amen. Thank you very much.